John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, the rosters keep on juggling in the National Football League as everybody's trying to settle in early in the week because you need to do it now earlier because with the COVID testing and all that's needed, it's hard to bring players in at the end of the week and trying to get them on the field. We know Jadevian Clowney's in the building in Tennessee now, so looks like he's passed his at least test. We'll see how he does in his physical. Then, of course, you got DeAndre Hopkins getting a deal done for about two years, a little over $54 million on the extension. That's going in Arizona. Then uh, other players right now going. I know that Justin Britt was up visiting Green Bay, so it didn't look like the Seattle visit went too well because he's now starting to make other visits. But we got plenty to catch up on. Let's get together with the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. I sure like like our speed on the outside. Um, all of our guys, you know, have had numbers. They got numbers to bring with them. And, you know, to bring 16 sacks to the to us just just in Benson and and Bruce is that's a real positive. You know, our guys last year didn't add up anywhere near that. So that's a positive, and and uh, hopefully we can enhance their play. We really would like to see. Jay Reed come back to his numbers somewhere into you know what he did a couple years ago. Um, he had kind of a kind of a stilted beginning last season. Um, now that he's back and he's in great shape and ready to go, you know if he can get his numbers anywhere near where he was to add to it, we we can be in good shape. So Pete Carroll optimistic about the pass rush, even though Jadevian Clowney ended up taking a one-year, $12 million deal with the Tennessee Titans. And, of course, uh, around the league, of course, nobody's going to give them a chance to try to do things. But, again, I think this defense is better. And to Pete's point, and I know I was worked on this like about two months ago, you know, you go through and you look and you say, okay, Ziggy Onsa, they paid $9 million. That just did not work. You were able to get, actually for a little bit less, Jadevian Clowney, and he did sensational. He drew most of the double teams but he always seemed to be like a step off in getting the sacks, so he only get like three and a half sacks, but he played very well. But now there's nobody there to draw totally the double teams. But what you're looking at is that the speed is now there. Now you have to see improvement from LJ Collier and Rasheem Green. If one or both of those guys don't step up, then things aren't going to be that great. But here's where the different speed is. You know, Alton Robinson, the fifth round pick, shows promise. He does show an opportunity to maybe do some things. Then you look at uh, Bruce Urban with his eight and a half sacks. Then you look at uh, Benson Mayoa, who's had 20 sacks in his career. And I still go back to last year. And this is to Pete's point, is that when you look at the configuration of that defense, and I don't know why we didn't figure it out last year, it just wasn't make wasn't able to make sacks. I mean, you, you look and you say, okay, Quentin Jefferson, you saw, hey, he was actually pretty good. He was probably the second best sack guy on the team, you know, because he could at least rush a little bit from the edge and rush from the five technique. Then, uh, you know, eventually Rasheem Green ended up getting the four sacks to lead the team. Then you look at the rest of the group. I mean, they, coming into the season, that group had less than 10 sacks. I mean, that's almost what Bruce Irvin had last season when he was with Carolina. So I think that you see a, a better pass rush. Certainly, you're going to see you know more man coverage with a better secondary. You'll see some blitzes because you know Jamal Adams, who had he adds potentially six sacks. Bobby Wagner's had six sacks in a season. I think they can get the number closer to 40. I don't know if they can make 40, but I think overall, and see, the other thing that I think is in their benefit is that you look at the quarterbacks that they face. You know, they got a lot of young quarterbacks in the AFC East and the NFC East. Do you think there's a chance with guys like Sam Darnold with a completely revamped offensive line, you know, 
Daniel uh, Daniel Jones in uh, the New York Giants. I mean, these guys. You know, what about the, what's going on in Washington with Dwayne Haskins? You know, you know that there's not. You got four changes on the offensive line for the Miami Dolphins. That is going to help the sack total. And again, the key right now is I know that uh, you know the offense. They want to let Russ cook and all that stuff. But the key right now is for the defense to get better, and then you can let Russ cook. But overall, I think right now the Seahawks have a better chance. They're, they're, they'll get more than ten sacks than they did last year. So let's say it's thirty-eight. That is satisfactory, and they got to get the point total allowed down from the twenty-four plus into the twenty to twenty-one, maybe even nineteen range. Number two, Ethan Posick's going to start for us. He had a great camp. Ethan had off-season surgery on something that's been bothering him for a number of years. Uh, athletic hernia thing that he's been dealing with. Um, I don't. All I can tell you is he, he, he did a great job in camp and looked terrific. Uh, was our most experienced guy with the, handling the, the whole system and all, and, and it showed. And uh, so we're, we're fired up to see him go. So Ethan Posick's official, and of course you kind of sense that about you know right a week or two into that. Uh, they, so what what they can do is try to go ahead and uh, see if they can do well because now you got no only two changes on the offensive line, right guard and right tackle. Damian Lewis starting at right guard. Then you have uh, you know Brandon Shell at the. Uh, uh, right tackle position, and Posick, even though he's not had much experience in the NFL at center, that's his best position from college. And so I think that can work out. And don't rush the judgment on B.J. Finney, because Finney, of course, uh, you know, started to compete for the center job, and that didn't work out. They put him at the backup guard positions and all that. Again, it's better to have the you know guys that have been in this system that know, so it's going to be the easier start to the season. So I think that looks good. Posick's only appeared in four games last year. He had had one start, and this will be the first time that he's started at center in the NFL, but that was his position at LSU. So I think they're in good shape right now. In other news, Justin Brin, as we mentioned, going up to the Green Bay Packers, so it doesn't look as though he's going to come back. No word on Paul Richardson. There's going to be, you know, once they get Anthony Rush done at defensive tackle, a 350-pound defensive tackle on the practice squad, there's going to be one more spot that's going to be on the practice squad. We'll see if it's going to be for Paul Richardson or whoever. Still awaiting word on Josh Gore and yet have to figure they have to make some kind of decision today because uh, at this stage, I mean, he's just kind of non-existent on the exempt list and the way that he did on his contract, he basically, you know, signed, uh, you know, for $117,500 on a roster bonus and he also got uh, 910, so his cap number is just going to be, you know, pretty pretty low in the 800 range, but Gordon now kind of waiting to find his future and what can happen with him to see if he's going to be coming off the exempt list. Number three. Ramirez looking for that 27th and final out. The stretch and the pitch. Andrews with a swing and a pop-up. Left side of home plate racing over Torrance and Ramirez. Torrance is there and he makes the catch and the ball game is over. The Mariners sweep aside the Rangers in a four-game series. The Mariners have now won six in a row. How about that? And 12 of their last 16 ball games. Incredible to think that the Mariners are on a six-game winning streak. They've won 11 out of their last 14. The Houston Astros have lost their last five. And I know yesterday it was kind of weird to say, okay, the Mariners are now two games behind the Yankees for the last wild card spot. But now the Mariners are two games behind the Astros for second place in the West. And favorable schedule coming up here in the next two series. They're at San Francisco. Then they have Arizona. They're at Arizona. And those two teams, I mean, San Francisco is a 500 team. Uh, Arizona is one of the worst teams in the National League. Could it be possible that this team gets to the point where maybe they can be 500? 
who go figure that one out marco gonzalez sensational again he's now down to 307 as far as his earned run average went seven innings allowed two runs against the rangers and they sweep the rangers go eight and two against the rangers pretty incredible dylan moore hit a home run had four rbis so now the mariners go to san francisco tonight the game is going to have the pregame at 5 30 6 45 is going to be on the game uh, here on 710 espn you can listen to it and of course we'll talk to shannon dreyer for the incredible stretch going on right now we'll talk to her at 10 30 number four phil's got a hip issue that we're concerned about and we're gonna see how it goes here um so he, he starts the season uh, on ir and uh we'll find out what that um you know you know if we give him enough time what we need to do to, to make sure he's healthy so uh, we're a little disappointed in that that you know he came in worked out really hard and just didn't you know his hip just didn't quite get through it and i wasn't able to take the whole workload so um it's unfortunate for him because he really wants to play bad and he's a good kid and he's going to be a good player too so we'll just have to wait it out now okay so uh we see that uh, you know, roster move that Nick Valor, the fullback, comes back on the roster. He makes uh, 105-0, and then Phil Haynes goes on the IR. But again, this is the IR that you can bring somebody back in three weeks. And it was really weird. I was just looking at uh, you know the cutdowns on Saturday, and so very few players. I mean, there may have been eight or nine that made the IR where you're out for the season. I mean, Derwin James, Tyrell Williams, those two being two of the ones that uh, ended up going, and they're out for the season. But now, uh, starting Sunday, if you put somebody on the IR, he's only going to be there, you know, at the at the minimum of three weeks. Could go longer, depends on what the team wants to do. But overall, you can see the roster move pretty well set up, and so the Seahawks were able to get Nick Valor back. They have one spot in the practice squad, and we'll see what other moves they might make. Number five. To me, Alvin Kamara is the most explosive piece to that offense, and that's no slight to Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is a fantastic, had an MVP type of season last year, but you talk about a guy who you can move all around the offense, who's deadly from the backfield, the receiver position, creating mismatches against uh, defenses. That's what Alvin Kamara is, and that's what he means to the New Orleans Saints. So to, you know, see that, both sides are, are, you know, trying to negotiate a new deal. I think it just shows you what the Saints think of Alvin Kamara and what his importance is to that offense in Drew Brees. So it looks like the uh, point that was made kind of by the hold in by Kamara may actually work out. You know, they uh, Sean uh, Payton ended up going down and not getting Jadevian Clowney, flew to Houston to be able to do that. But now things are heating up to a point where maybe Kamara can get a deal. I mean, they know that the I'm sure if it's going to be now, uh, it's probably going to be less, a little bit more than the four-year, $48 million deal for Joe Mixon. Uh, and we'll see where that goes. I know another running back, the Packers are talking to Aaron Jones, but I tend to doubt if anything's going to happen there. Because remember, they took A.J. Dillon and took him in the second round, and he could be the replacement if they don't want to pay Aaron Jones. But I think they do want to pay Aaron Jones. All The numbers, of course, <clears throat> could make it tough to get Chris Carson done, you know, because now if you are talking $12, $13 million, might be hard to hold him in that six to eight million dollar range but nevertheless negotiations are going and as i mentioned at the top of the show deandre hopkins is close to getting a two-year 54.75 million dollar contract extension making him one of the highest paid receivers not the highest but one of the highest in the national football league hey listen to the show via the 710 sports app it's powered by the dubin law group coming up next we're going to go into further review and talk about what will seahawks do as far as the blitz it's the john clayton show 710 espn seattle under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, under further review, we look at the uh, Seahawks defensive package, and I know 
uh, I kind of surprised uh, Danny O'Neill about a week or so ago because he was talking about the blitz, and he says the team they had less blitzes. I said no, they had more blitzes. And so all of a sudden, while uh, I was answering the question, he looked it up and he saw that yeah, they did do more blitzes. And I know just watching from the sidelines, there was certainly more creativity from Ken Norton as opposed to the normal just hey rush four and try to get everything a quarterback down and have everything covered. But they needed to do it because they just did not have the pass rush. So now what you can look at is that uh, this team. I think has a better pass rush. Certainly they're better in the secondary and also they have a lot of versatility. And of course in this division and in this NFL now with more spread offenses coming in, you know, more plays that colleges run. I mean, you have to have positionless players like Jamal Adams who can, you know, play linebackers, safety, free safety, slot cornerback and that you have the versatility of Marquise Blair now playing uh, cornerback in the slot and also having the ability to come in and maybe do some things as far as the, uh, safety position so you need that versatility and I do think that I don't think they may blitz as much as next year because I don't th- as that last year but I do think that there's going to be a blitz part of this and you have to match it up because what you have is have the running offenses the Mike Shanahan running offense that Cow is running in uh, San Francisco same thing with the Rams with Sean McVay McVay of course learning that running system under Kyle Shanahan when he were both together in Washington and then of course you've got the spread offense with more four receivers sets coming out of Cliff Kingsbury, particularly now that they've got DeAndre Hopkins out there and also they have uh, you know Larry Fitzgerald, you know, two potential Hall of Fame type receivers. And so overall you need to be a little bit more aggressive, but I don't know if they have to be as aggressive as they have because they have more talent. But let's hear what Brock Heward said today on Danny and Gallant about the Blitz. True or false, Brock? The Seahawks will not need to blitz as much as they did a year ago when they went from one of the least blitzingest teams in the league to about average. Yeah, I would say, Danny, that is false. Um, I know Coach Carroll said uh, otherwise, and he believes that the, this group up front is going to be a whole lot better than than those of us on the outside are, are predicting and proclaiming, and a lot of us with angst and anxiety and worry uh, because of that set group. But uh, he, he does not think they're going to have to blitz nearly as much, I, I I would just disagree. And I think with Quandre, and I think with Marquise Blair, and I think with Jamal Adams, you have guys that you can blitz and leave in space and leave to cover uh, slot receivers, tight ends, running backs, which you're going to have to do in this division, and you, and you better feel comfortable with, with those guys being able to run and cover and hit and finish those tackles. So um, I, I know that Pete does not love to and has not traditionally in his decades of football you know love to be this blitz happy let's bring people from everywhere let's leave the back end of that secondary exposed and and let's face it bill belichick pete carroll two of the great defensive minds in college in in, in the nfl nick saban you know the i think greatest mind in college football the last 20 years all three of those men have coached the secondary um and and for pete played in that secondary and when you coach from the back end forward you typically are not as much as a blitz-heavy guy, and Saban, Belichick, and Pete are not. So they, they like to protect. They like to limit the big play. And I think that that will still be important and absolutely be the creed and, and the ethos of what they do. But no, I, I don't think if you're going to rely on that four, Rasheem and LJ and Bruce and Benson and those guys to, to win and dominate five people time in and time out and in passing situations, I think that'll be problematic.
So interesting way to look at it. Uh, you know, that's the thing that I think that, you know, it's still, I think, going to blitz more than uh, the 213, 214. But even when you go back into that uh, years, particularly 14, it's like there was like about maybe 13 uh, sacks or so that came from linebackers or cornerbacks or safety. It's like they'll, they have to mix it up and you have to have a little bit of a difference right now. And one thing that I think is going to be interesting and it may cause them to maybe stay a little under last year's blitz level, but it's certainly going to be more than it was in most of the Pete Carroll years, is that there's going to be a little bit more too tight end. Not necessarily against Arizona, but you know that uh, you know the 49ers have a 21 formation, which is two running backs and a tight end, and they like to switch into two tight ends. The Rams, right now, particularly after trading Brandon Cooks, is going to use more two tight ends. That's just going to be part of the plan, and I, I find out yesterday that uh, you know Sean McVay said they're going to kind of go with a three-back rotation now that they've traded away Todd Gurley you know and we'll see I can't Cam Akers I think eventually is going to be the number one guy I know that Seattle really liked him and was considering him maybe in the second round but you know that didn't work out and you know, didn't necessarily need to happen particularly now that the backfield's in good situation you know with Car- Chris Carson back and also with Carlos Hyde but overall I kind of look at the the blitz as kind of a nice type of alternate that they can do I mean you want to try to get the front four but I I think Brock makes the great point is that you look at that four and you can't consistently count on that four getting to the quarterback. I mean, you look last year, you can hardly count on that front four even thinking about getting to the quarterback. But again, with the fact that now there's a little bit more speed, particularly with Bruce Irvin on passing downs and, you know, all the other options right now, and particularly if uh, LJ Collier can come on with uh, Jaron Reed now going to be more of a force and really looking in good shape. You know, uh, I would have to think Curtis. Rogers that uh, you know it'll be a good element of blitzing and it'll probably still keep them in the middle of the pack as far as blitzing teams. Yeah, and I, I think they have another guy that gives them more options, especially in that secondary in terms of blitzing. Uh, Jamal Adams. I mean, he yeah. had six sacks last year, and that would have led the Seahawks. And that's something that's somebody from your secondary. Uh, that is an element that they did not have a year ago. They had nobody in their secondary that could rush the passer or or really just wreak havoc in any other way besides pass coverage, and, and now they've got that. They've got somebody who is uh, in that positionless player mold, and I think that gives the Seahawks and their defense somebody that they can rely upon in, in any facet of the game, whereas last year... It, they were, you know, so set in in how they were going to play the game. They were going to play it in their four three base defense. What they did that sixty nine percent of the time a year ago, which was about thirty percent more than any other team in the league. Now they've got plenty of versatility. They've got guys on the defensive line that they can swap in and out. You're you're not playing Ziggy Ansah more than you needed to do last year. Uh, so I think flexibility is going to allow for Seattle's defense to. I wouldn't necessarily say thrive, but I think they are going to be in a better position to to have more production than they did a year ago. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. And again, what you look at is just the speed of this defense. That's what I like the most because, you know, you have so many guys now with 4-4 speed and uh, that works out. And that's how some way they'll find get a way to get Jordan Brooks on the field, maybe in some packages, and you take advantage of his speed and his hitting ability and all that stuff. So, no, I think that, uh, again, it's like this defense, until they prove it, is not going to get any respect whatsoever. I mean, it's going to be considered, oh, it was clowny or bust, and it's bust now because it didn't get clowny. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, okay, this is still a defense that can be good. I think that, uh, you know, uh, a 
something. Let's put it this way: you know that uh, Danny O'Neill is not a big fan of pro football focus, and constantly they beat up this offensive line. And in many ways, they may be right about that, but I think they had a like a 12 rating on the way this defense is. So there's something there that uh, they like, and you know they're analytics people. They look at the numbers. If Seattle has good analytics people. When you look at the numbers, and when you start to talk about you know the speed of Urban and Brooks and Bobby Wagner and what the guys in the secondary, I think there's a good chance that this thing can get better. And it's just a matter, all right, it's not like you have to win the sack title. I mean, you know, some teams that get 50 sacks don't have winning seasons. But this team right now is a team that has Russell Wilson. It needs to get better on defense. On paper, I think it is better on defense. So you you watch and see if that starts to fold up. It'll be interesting. I think it's kind of a good way to start off going against Atlanta because now you go against an established quarterback, a quarterback right now that still has some offensive line issues. But it's a road game. But of course, there's no fans in a stand. Hey, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or your app. Coming up next, we'll talk to Shannon Dreyer and see what she says about this amazing bounce back right now by the Mariners, where they're actually two games behind second place Houston in this division. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Shannon Dreyer. And Shannon, I don't know, I'm, I'm, you know I'm a big uh, advocate of following the schedule, right? And how schedule plays anything, strength of schedule, weakness of schedule, and everything else. And the Mariners right now just gone through a stretch where they uh, win so many games, 8 out of 10 against Texas, which is a, a bad team this year. Coming up, they have uh, you know San Francisco for four games, two at home, two on the road. The road game's coming first, and then three against Arizona. And Arizona's one of the worst teams in the National League. San Francisco's a 500 team. But am I wrong to think, with the way this Mariner team is, winning 11 out of 14, that uh, this, this seven-game stretch could end up that the Mariners could be 500 or a little above? Oh, I think there's definitely the possibility for that. I think the key is is that they're playing good baseball right now. It's not like the teams on the other side have been necessarily beating themselves. We've seen great starting pitching performances from you know, just starter after starter, the ERA well under three in this run for them. Uh, we're seeing somewhat improved uh, improvement from the bullpen, which we'll leave it at that. Uh, but then what you're seeing is something that you've seen consistently for the majority of the season, and they're just not making mistakes. They're not beating themselves. Uh, they've been great on the bases. They're creating runs on the bases, and they've also been good in the field. They're not committing errors. They've committed one error in their last 11 games. So they're playing smart baseball. They're playing team baseball, which has been great to see. You look at this group, and there's not a lot that just jumps out at you. There's not like a huge bopper as far as home run hitters go, there's not a big strikeout guy or not a big velocity guy, but everybody is just turning in solid performances right now, and that is leading to these wins. So with the way that the schedule is lining up, uh, you know, yeah, I think it helps that they do have Arizona coming up. It'll be interesting to see what San Francisco is right now. But with the way that they've been playing, I think that, you know, the way that they've been able to put up runs on the board and the way that the starters in particular have been able to limit damage, I think they would give themselves a chance against a lot of teams right now. Of course, that's the interesting thing. San Francisco was not projected to be uh, too good this year, and they are at 500, so that may be a little bit more of a challenge. But I think you're right about the fact that the team is getting good starting pitching. You know, Graveman has now come in a couple times and looked good in the bullpen. A couple of the young guys have uh, stepped up, and I don't know some of the guys that are no longer here were some of the ones that struggled the most, and uh, they're no longer here. 
Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of what we've seen throughout the years with Jerry Depoto. He will bring guys in and out, and uh, I think this year it's a little bit different. It's a little bit tougher with the position players to do that, although he has made some waiver claims over the last week and, and is taking a look at a few guys. But when it comes to the bullpen, if it's not working, it seems like there's always a reliever out there that they feel that they can go get and take a look at and see if they can perhaps, uh, you know, change what they're doing out there to their benefit. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think your biggest finds uh, of late have been eternal, internal. I'm sorry. You take a look at Anthony Masevich, who came up through the system, and they were very comfortable with him, and he was a starter, and he's proved very valuable in that kind of five, six, seven inning relief and getting that getting you out of that one big inning in the middle of a game, and that's important. Uh, you look at Kendall Graveman, who was a starter, and now they're using him as a reliever. You look at Johan Ramirez, who they've been extremely careful with, and, and just uh, you know, just kind of spoon feeding him what he can take as a reliever, and and that seems to be paying off in that they can now put him in later in games, and they'll continue to be careful with him, but. You know, there have been situations where that's been the only arm that they could go to, and so the gloves came out, and he's done okay in those situations. He certainly has the big stuff. So uh, it's still not a complete bullpen by any means, but it's a lot better than what we have seen for the majority of the season. Let's talk about the starting uh, rotation and how well that is done. I mean, uh, how good can this staff be? I mean, clearly Marco Gonzalez is pitching like an ace. I mean, he's going out there seven innings, somehow had a, a nine-inning game. He's you know only given up a 307 earn run average. He's really looked good. But talk about the rest of the guys and what that means for the future, because now would it be safe to say that you, know, you can see four of these uh, starters pretty well set to be one, two, three, four next year. And what about the rest? Well, I think the thing that we're seeing right now is I think that they are taking their cues from Marco and from Scott Service and Pete Woodworth, the, the pitching coach. They I want to say it was about three weeks ago, um, had a readjustment in what they were doing. And uh, just they were not seeing enough strikes thrown by these guys. And this is just kind of one of the, you know, if you can get, a pitcher to go out there and throw strikes and throw strikes with confidence, you've got a shot at getting something out of them. And you think about all the young pitchers that have come through this organization and you watch them and they kind of nibble around the edges and they get to 3-2 quite a bit and the pitch count gets up and there are a good number of walks and you know maybe they survive four and two-thirds innings. Maybe they make it to five and it's okay. And you know they have been preaching in this organization control the zone, which they changed that to dominate the zone, I believe, this year. And uh, it was reinforced kind of midway through this season, and you started seeing more strikes. And Marco does it. Marco's only walked four batters all year. Uh, Justice Sheffield is a guy that throws strikes and rarely walks batters anyway, but he's even become better. Justin Dunn, he he's the one. He is the one that, you know, he, he's put up three brilliant outings, but he's still walked nine batters in those, and those walks usually come early. I think he's an adjustment away in that first inning from really kind of stepping up and being more where you've seen Justice Sheffield. And I think that the biggest thing with that is you're seeing these guys come along quickly. Uh, for Sheffield, it was the show-me season. He's shown us from game two. Game one, it was a disaster, as it was for all the starters. But I don't think you have many questions about Justice Sheffield right now. I think you feel that he is on the path to being uh, a mainstay in this rotation. And when he came over to the Mariners, there were people in the industry who were not convinced that he was a starter. They thought he ultimately would end up in the bullpen. Well, that's been put to rest. Uh, Justin Dunn, honestly, I thought it was going to take a little bit longer, and it's not. And I, I think that the three outings that he's coming off of right now have given him, you know, a, a lot of confidence. He's extremely confident to start with, but 
there's a difference in having that confidence off the field and when you're in the game, and we're seeing it in the game and the way that he's been able to go after hitters. And he sits there and he's able to watch what Marco does. He's able to watch what Justice does as he follows them. And in the last few starts, it's been in the same series. So it's been interesting to watch that. Kikuchi is still the wild card. I mean, he's got great stuff. He has got improved stuff. After what he did last offseason, he's got to put it together and he's got to kind of, you know, just grasp that mental aspect of in-game management. And, uh, you know, he's still a young pitcher in that regard, especially pitching in MLB over here with the hitters that he doesn't know as well. So if he can take that step forward, you feel very good about that, uh, especially with the stuff that he now has. So I think a lot of questions answered there. I'm still very intrigued by Nick Margavichus, who's been very consistent. And you've got L.J. Newsom going tonight, who's a product of the system, who grew up in the system, was one of the first gas camp participants, and has shown nothing but consistency in the minor leagues and has been one of the best strike throwers in all of the minor leagues. And now we're seeing if that translates at the big league level. I think probably it's going to be more in a relief role, but so far so good for him starting. No doubt. And, of course, Dylan Moore coming off the injury. His back had four RBIs, a home run last night. Uh, He seems to be a good fit. He is a good find. I mean, this is a guy who signed a split major minor league contract after uh, being granted free agency as a minor leaguer. So the Mariners picked him up for next to nothing, just, you know, minimum. He was a minimum guy if he was at the big league level. And I, I think, you know, you saw he was able to go in there and fill in at any position last year, and that was great, but he didn't do much with the bat. He had hit around 206. I think he had an OPS of under 700. But a really kind of curious thing started to happen toward the end of the year when he started hitting some home runs. He realized that every hit home run he hit – was about the hardest ball hit that you have seen on the team that year. He hits some far, he hits some hard, he makes good contact, and he's made some adjustments, and now he's connecting more often, and this is what you've got. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what they are able to do with him, if maybe they pre- move him into one position and keep him there, if they continue to move him around. But uh, he very well could be a find kind of along the lines of Austin Nola, the surprise that you had with him and the consistency that he brought. The Padres have had him hitting cleanup, for goodness sakes. So... Uh, to have Dylan Moore kind of do the same thing that you saw Nola do, uh, Tom Murphy, I think you can point to in the same way. You know, that really bodes well for when you need to go get guys, that so they're making discoveries and, and helping kind of transition them into different players. Now, I know that uh, it's September, and September 1st used to be the day when you can bring minor leaguers up. Uh, what's the timetable, and do you think with this stretch going so well that uh, Jerry DePoto is going to bring up some minor league players? I don't think so. You don't have September call-ups this year, so you don't have that period where you can bring them up without having to use an option. And uh, I think that service time is an issue, particularly with your big stars. You just prefer have them, uh, you know, an extra year rather than just get maybe 20 games out of them. Uh, it wouldn't even be that at between now and then. And, you know, there are other issues. They had a plan for these guys, and that plan was upended by what has happened with the coronavirus. And while they've been getting work, they don't have any more actual games than they did at the beginning of this season. And they would not have brought them up without having that experience, and they have not been able to get that. So I don't see that happening. It's a little bit easier with pitchers to bring them up because you can simulate that uh, down at the alternate site. But, you know, the truth of the matter is they're not down there playing games every day. They're only playing those games a couple of times a week. And uh, I don't think the position players really have their game legs as far as uh, going out on the field and, and playing for nine innings. So they're not, you know, properly built up in that regard. They've done everything that they can with them, but there are limits with the numbers that they have there. So 
I think that when you look at the big prospects, when they bring them up, they want them to be up to stay, and they need to set them up for success to do that. And you know, that's one of the reasons why, and hopefully everything will be normal next year for baseball, that you will see them start in the minors. You will see them uh, get their legs under them in games that aren't that don't count at the big league level. So I just don't see that happening. Hey, Shannon, great stuff. Are you enjoying this stretch? Yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun on Sunday when I saw the news that Lance McCullers went on the I.L., and took a look at the standings and went huh <laughs> you know maybe it's time to look at this um and just you know to see the development that you've seen over the last two weeks i know they're lesser teams but there's no denying the performances that you're seeing right now and so to see that all come together that's what this year was about it would be a lot more fun if we could have watched 162 of it um but pretty neat to see these pieces of what i think will be mainstays of the mariners really start to come into their own Shannon, great great stuff uh, san francisco on the docket for tonight and tomorrow and then of course arizona over the weekend thanks for joining us all right john okay and of course you can check be sure to check out the professor's notes on 710sports.com the professor's notes are brought to you by infinity of tacoma at fife coming up next we're going to go behind the lines and catch you up to date on what's going on in the national football league it's the john clayton show 710 espn seattle it's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Even though it's very difficult to get contract extensions, particularly at a time right now where the cap's going to go down $20 million next year, uh, deals are getting done. Maybe not at the extent of past years when the cap went up $10 million a year, but I think you're seeing a lot of the guys from the 2017 class getting deals done, some uh, big deals getting done today. Uh, certainly the one that uh, most interests Seattle is the DeAndre Hopkins deal because he gets two years at uh, $54.5 million. So now he's signed two additional years because he has two years coming up. And I would imagine that the way the deal is going to be structured, like a lot of these most recent deals, the cap number is going to be down a little bit this year, down a little bit, and then he makes it up in the last two years of the contract. And so uh, we'll see how that goes. They'll probably give him a big signing bonus, uh, probably in the 20 plus million dollar range. His guarantees are going to be, you know, in the 40, 40 some million dollar range. So that deal gets done. So Hopkins being locked up for the Arizona Cardinals, another deal that just came through in the uh, Cleveland, you know, and this is a shorter deal, but uh, Kareem Hunt ended up getting a two-year, $13.25 million deal. He's the running back, had a lot of problems in Kansas City, but both he and Nick Chubb are uh, the kind of sharing the position, although Chubb right now is the best guy. Uh, Alvin Kamara, there's rumblings out of New Orleans that he's getting close to a deal. You wonder, although I think it's going to be too tight under the cap for the Minnesota Vikings to do something with uh, Dalvin Cook. But deals are getting done right now, and you want to get them done before the start of the season. You know, Cam Hayward of Pittsburgh was able to get a deal in that uh, you know big $17 million range. So all those different things are going on right now as everybody kind of sorts through the roster, tries to get the 16 practice squad players, kind of gets things set, and I think it's going to calm down for a while. But it's going to be a very busy week, Curtis, in which, of course, busy is good for everybody who follows this National Football League. Absolutely, and uh, we saw Kareem Hunt of the Browns get a new deal today, two years, $13.5 million. Uh, I think it's like 8.5 guaranteed which kind of, you know, we see Aaron Jones in Green Bay. He's up for a new deal right now, Alvin Kamara. John, of those three guys, Jones, Mack, or not Jones, Mack, uh, Kareem Hunt, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Jones, Kareem Hunt, and Alvin Kamara, 
Which one of those running backs do you think Chris Carson is closest to in value on the market? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, having been a seventh round pick, I mean, uh, it's it's certainly more valuable than Kareem Hunt. So it's like, okay, I mean, he's got to be somewhere between because uh, honestly, when you think about it, he's outperformed Joe Mixon. And so, you know, in reality, it's probably, uh, you know, 10 plus million dollar deal. But I can't see the Seahawks being able to do that, you know, because that's that's going to be tough. And so uh, they got to figure it out. They can't really do anything now till they see how he does on the field. And they do have the option next year, putting the franchise tag. You know, my guess would be if he's willing to sign now in the eight million dollar range, I think they can get something done. But if you're going to be uh, him, you're going to say, no, I'm going to wait. And But then the danger is if they put the franchise tag on you, you're going to be maybe making eight next year. That's problematic. So uh, it's a tough situation to be in. And, of course, uh, Seattle right now is in good shape cap-wise. They're in good shape cap-wise next year, which most teams are not. But, uh, I mean, you have – really, you can talk about Quentin Dunbar. You can talk about you know some of the 30-year-old guys in the last years of the contract, like K.J. Wright and Bruce. Irvin and guys like that but I think just from the team standpoint I know uh, they took criticism for this unrightfully because you know Jaron Reed is a good player and a good leader you initially want to take care of your own and so what would be nice is that if you can get some kind of a deal with either Carson or if you get one done with Shaquille Griffin and you know of the two the lesser of the money is going to go to Carson because even in the standpoint of you know cornerbacks make more than running backs maybe you can get something done by midseason. Yeah, and you look at the guys who are up for their, you know, or who are kind of in the area of an extension. You mentioned Shaquille Griffin, uh, Quentin Dunbar also in the last year of his deal. I think the Seahawks are definitely in a wait-and-see mode with that. I think if Dunbar does have a good season, then they would have interest in bringing him back. And then Jamal Adams, last year of his rookie deal, he still has that fifth-year option. Um, But I think if you're the Seahawks... I think the best route would to be getting Adams locked in for as many years as possible, as soon as possible, just because of the the game changing talent that he is. And you know, just on the list of priorities when it comes to those guys, I don't know if Carson cracks the top three in that. But that's the thing. I mean, you look at his performance, and I guess you can say technically he does. I mean, he does get that uh, type of good numbers. I mean, what he had twelve hundred and thirty yards last year, and he missed a couple games. So uh, you know. But what you, what you worry about, and that's why the franchise tag can be an option, but again, you don't want to insult him and up, make him upset. But still, you'd like to be able to uh, get something done because he's that good, and you want to reward your own. I mean, that's the one thing that I think is the good part of this team, and I think is going to help this team perform well this year, is that you can see there's a good environment in the locker room. And you can see guys like Benson Mayoa coming back and Bruce Irvin coming back. And really, when you when you look at the bulk of this team, you know they sure went out and they got offensive linemen. You know They were able to go out and get guys in the secondary. They were able to draft. But, I mean, what, there's only going to be maybe, what, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 to 15 new players on this team. They've been able to regroup and keep their own. Yeah, and I think that's been one of the great testaments to Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider, the way they've been able to not just rebuild on the field, but kind of rebuild in that locker room too. It's not like it was out of control around 2017 or anything, but there was definitely you know some unrest within the locker room, and, and now it seems like it's a lot more harmonious than it was. Uh, John, around the NFL right now, uh, teams releasing their depth charts. An interesting move in Washington after uh, they released Adrian Peterson. Uh, they cut Darius Geis. 
J.D. McKissick, former Seahawk, is listed as the number one running back ahead of Antonio Gibson, Peyton Barber, Bryce Love. Surprised to see McKissick atop that running back depth chart? Yes, I am. I mean, particularly after letting uh, Adrian Peterson go. Uh, that, to me, is a, a little... Uh, and again, I guess I can see it to some degree because you have Scott Turner, who was down in Carolina, calling the plays with Ron Rivera down there. But, you know, McKissick's more of a third down back. But then, you know, Bryce Love is a Stanford guy that they drafted reasonably high that had knee problems in school, and that dropped his value. Uh, so that's a little surprise. How about in Jacksonville? What a mess that is. You know, they ended up coming back and uh, they cut Leonard Fournette. He goes to Tampa Bay. And would you believe that they're actually going to, in the, on the depth chart, they're going to start an undrafted rookie? That's, I can't remember the last time that's happened. I think Mike Bell, the former yeah. uh, Broncos running back, I think that's the last time I can remember an undrafted – well, Philip Lindsay, the uh, yeah, Broncos Lindsay, running right. But he didn't start initially. I mean, True. he kind of worked in there. I mean, it's like, wow. <laughs> How strange is that? Yeah, it's it's and particularly very... in a year where it's like okay, he's had fourteen padded practices. If he even had fourteen, yeah, and and we've seen so many undrafted free agents not get a chance to make these fifty-three man rosters out of the gate. And Jacksonville, they're throwing caution in the wind, putting putting uh, an undrafted guy in their starting backfield. How about only? Uh, I was counting it up last night. There was only thirty-four, and that was with uh, New England putting J.J. Taylor, a running back who was undrafted, back on the roster. Only thirty-four undrafted running backs that are right now on the active roster. Jeez, that's about one per team. One per team. Yeah, very strange. Hey, coming back next, we're going to go four downs with Sean Salisbury. John Clayton Show, seven ten, ESPN Seattle.